0: all right here we go three times into advent we've gone Uh, this is the last one until the new year next week i believe uh, the sunday school program is in here at 10 15 but you all are welcome to come downstairs for coffee we'll have we'll have uh we'll have bill shuey make a double measure and we goof off downstairs if you just want to stand around and talk now here's the thing if i just let you you would all stand around and talk right now but if i ask you back for coffee next week stand around and You won't, you'll all leave because you think, well, we're just talking. But see, you are already just talking, so bring the same enthusiasm and we'll goof off downstairs. How's that? And there's no 1115 service next week, so uh, for you who are 1115ers, uh, don't show up. Because we love you, but deep down, really in our hearts, we don't believe you're going to come at 1115 and again on Monday and again on Tuesday. I mean, we love you, but you know. But if you get some cadre of you that say we must have at 1115, of course, we'd show up, bring the Lord with us. So, all right, here we go. Three Sundays into Advent, traditionally uh, the week of John the Baptizer, getting uh, broken down a bit, and then next week is uh, Mary's week. Uh, By the way, I don't know, the Magnificat was gorgeous, you who sung it, and then I was just surprised how well the congregation sung it. You surprise me sometimes by what you sing and what you don't sing. I would have thought that would have been a terribly difficult thing, and in even 745, people just kind of pitched in and sang that very interesting. So the Lord does what he does with you. Prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, the Lord comes with might. Isaiah 40 verse 3. Let's pray. O Lord, accept our prayer and supplication and grant that we may heed the call of John to prepare the way for your son and receive him into our hearts that we may become thy children through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, one of the good things about um, doing this is that people... Send you such cool stuff. Listen to this. This is now, and you people who are now, and folks, uh, somebody else sent me this The Road to Daybreak. Listen to this. The voice of Jesus says, Do not judge yourself, do not condemn yourself, do not reject yourself. Let my love touch the deepest, most hidden corners of your heart and reveal to you your own beauty a beauty that you have lost sight of but which will become visible to you again in the light of my mercy. The voice of Jesus says, come, come, let me wipe away your tears and let my mouth come close to your ear and say to you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Isn't that great? I don't know if we can hold your attention talking about beauty um, because it's not a primary theme or primary attribute, at least the way Lutherans normally work through the scriptures. However, uh, it is everywhere if you just pay attention to it. Where we've been is this, that the word for beauty is the word for God's presence. This was the first week. The word for beauty, for what's pleasurable, for what's good, what's remarkable, what's, what's earth-shaking, the word for beauty in the scriptures, when it is used, is a word for God's presence, especially his presence on the altar His visible beauty, then, is our visible joy. And so he gives his gift on the altar and then out into the world. Interestingly, the word for beauty, this is way back the first week. So the word for beauty is the word for God when he's present on the altar. And it's also the word used to describe those who bring the gospel to other people. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of the Lord, for example. So beauty drops down from heaven to the altar. Beauty is put into us and carried out. And then, you see, beauty is not a matter of taste or of preference. There are things that are beautiful objectively. And they are, of course, the things that are holy, the things that are divine and that come down to earth. The definition of holiness, I'm sorry, the definition of glory is the holiness of heaven that comes to earth. So things that we... Glory, then, is a, is, a, is a word that's normally reserved for God by people who are strict about their language. Glory is a technical term. The holiness of God comes down to earth. That strikes us as beauty, as a wonderful thing that engages us and pushes us out. And then that beauty finds its expression. So that's the word... Uh, we, we looked at an icon. We looked at a little bit of uh, Johnny Cash video. Uh, we looked last week at uh, the De La Tour... Uh, picture. Have you got that in your hands? Everybody got one? Anybody want one? Raise your hands, we'll get you one. Can you pass these out to anybody who needs one? Now, um, you asked me, the woman on the right, I'm sorry, the woman on the left with her hand up, uh, you know, you asked me what was that underneath her hand, and I said a host, and then Gainig says, of course that's the host, because the cut of Mary's Dress uh, is in the shape of a chalice. There you go. People see what they see. As Jesus says, he who has eyes to see, let him see. Right? So beauty drops down from heaven. Beauty is carried out into the world. Beauty is a good, get, good gift. And beauty makes life easier, better, more wonderful. Now, as you sort of ponder that, then you might, with your other hand, pick up an outline. We sort of uh, got to the point uh, of four of saying uh, creation is filled with the beauty of God because God diffuses beauty. He puts his his stamp, his image, his vestige into the world. And people talk about that differently. I decline to define those two too carefully, but I just it's the notion that there is an imprint uh, which God puts upon His creation, which reflects Him which is then beautiful. Not everyone can see it, uh, but you know, he who has eyes to see, let him see. So I'm, I sort of push you uh, down into five then, that God creates things, and we looked at that, but then also he creates us, and I was trying to push you to the point of saying uh, that you might be able to find the beauty in other people, even people you don't like, even people who are poor, even people who are sick, horribly sick, Even people who are wretched, even people who work against you. What else does Jesus mean when he says, Love those, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you? What else does he mean but to find beauty in them? And that was the brilliant little bit in Nowen's book, which we read, you know, some of us read in different venues, where he talks about in the stranger. You know, seeing Christ in the stranger in Matthew 26 ends that way. You did it. When did we ever come see you in prison? When did we ever give you a drink or something to eat? You did it to that person. You did it to me. Christ uh, is the alien to whom we show care. Uh, just keep sign anything that comes to you, including <laughs> checks with my name on them. Anything that comes around, just sign it, and we'll work out the details later. Thank you very much. Better to sign twice than not at all. Yes, yes, okay. This obedience is a is a is a virtue in the church. So just just sign whatever is put in front of you. So that draws us all the way up to seven. Then okay, uh, to six seven. Um, take it this way, if you would. The reason that God incarnates, the reason he comes in, the the reason God takes flesh and blood, the reason God matters, if you will, really matters, takes matter, the reason that he matters, in one sense, is to re-beautify us. Now, I know there are other things, I'm well aware, and and this is sort of, you know, down the line. Yes, I'm aware that he uh, is there to not only take our flesh and absorb our sin, I know that, I'm, I'm sort of pressing beyond that. And I've said before, Lutherans, you know, one of, the, one of the troubles sometimes with Lutherans is they get to justification and they stop as if that was the only thing in the scripture or as if that was an end point rather than a, than, than a launch pad. You know, baptism, justification, the forgiveness of sins prompts you into a world which is uh, never-ending, never inexhaustible in its gifts. And among the gifts is beauty. And one of the reasons we know that is your simple experience that you... You read a poem, or you see an icon, or, or you look at a picture, and you react to that. You see a person, you see a thing, you marvel. You know it how the light comes through the stained glass today, and you're blessed by that. It is a little hint of Eden being restored. God incarnates in order to make the world beautiful once again. So, I'm at the top of the page that says, Incarnation is the ultimate answer. Um, to how a corporeal being can represent a being like God. And so the glowing Christ there. Um, You remember, uh, I was arguing here that God puts his uh, gifts into the universe. He puts it into creation, and he also puts it into us. But ultimately, he puts it into Christ. Uh, You know uh, these texts as well as I. I uh, I don't know that I need to read all of them, but uh, these texts, for example, Colossians 1.15, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the visible image, the stamp, the icon, the imprint of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Yeah? In him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In heaven and earth, Visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things are created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Right? Christ himself is beauty. Or John 1.14, uh, Pastor Gaining, um, you know, was sort of running through uh, some of the liturgies this morning that end with this great verse, and, and, and the word became flesh and t- tabernacled among us. You see, which, of course, goes directly to beauty because in the tabernacle was an altar or or the Ark of the Covenant. And when Jesus alights on that, that is beauty. Beauty is to be in the presence of God. Joined to him, then, you know, you're meant to follow and imitate. Lutherans can struggle a little bit with this. Um, and In one sense, that's good. We never want you talking about yourself. But the reality is, and I I learned this as as more and more my older friends die, the gift of having older friends who sort of groomed you along the way. Um, As scriptures talk about older men raising up um, younger men, or I had somebody in my office this week who lays the charge on the older women of this congregation. Uh, This person is distressed by the way that younger women are dressing in our congregation, and wouldn't I um, do something about that? Uh, I suppose I could do this, I should say, Um, you know, watch your kids before they go out, because sometimes even your kids can distress other people by what they wear, Um, which is in the sense of, I'm not talking about whether your kid has a mohawk or not. I personally favor mohawks, and if I had hair, I would have one, but, uh, and piercing and tattoo, I'm like, you know, as long as you're not annihilating yourself, and your mommy says it's okay, you know. But there is a point where um, people can be a bit uh, provocative in the way they, uh, you know. And then, and then, of course, that standard sort of moves around. But we always have to remember if we, if we hurt other people, we might want to be careful about that. Right? So we learn from other people just as we learn from Christ. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, we get, you know, a little nervous about that. But um, this is the way that, that God talks, that we imitate the saints who went before us. And we might uh, do well to be doing that. Um, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word with much affliction, with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Ikea. So the thing is, is, um, in your imitation, you put beauty into the world. But most of all, um, what you do is you teach people why uh, you're different. So I give you this, um, this poem from R.S. From Scott. Um, you know, the church makes a big deal about how they love their enemies, but the reality is, you know, we don't do a fantastically good job at this. And even, you know, all of us, I included, you know, we, we very much, you know, we talk a big ball game. Uh, We talk about honesty, we talk about looking people in the eye, we talk about doing the right thing, we talk about standing up for what's right, we even talk about engaging in what is beautiful. It's horribly difficult to do, often because um, not everybody will play. In some sense, um, this poem is an argument for doing the right thing no matter what anybody else does, which of course is the story of Jesus. You know, it's a couple of times the scriptures talks about how God will be faithful even if we are unfaithful, because faithfulness is the nature of God, and so beauty. You see, Abel looked at the wound his brother had dealt him and loved him. Okay, just you just sort of think about that. If you got a brother or a sister who's ever bopped you, you know, I just was your natural response that you loved them. At that particular moment, yeah. Abel looked at the wound his brother had dealt him and loved him. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Abel looked at the wound his brother had dealt him and Jesus' him. It was beautiful to him. And loved him for it, sorry. His brother had dealt him and loved him for it. So he actually loves him not just in general, but he loves him specifically. The best love is specifically. It doesn't matter if you love people. <laughs> Your problem is going to be loving me, <laughs> you know. Anybody can love people. Yeah. Anybody can do that. You try loving me sometime. Or I try loving you. Abel looked at the wound his brother had dealt him and loved him for it. Cain saw that look and struck him again. this horrible interplay of good and evil, right? So I'm sure you've had this. You come here and you hear, you know, the right thing, the right thing, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, you do it. And of course you think there's some payoff in that. And sometimes the payoff is that people strike you again. Yeah? The blood cried on the ground. God listened to it. Of course, why? Because blood belongs to God. That's the reason in the Old Testament you couldn't eat the blood or drink the blood. Because the life is in the blood, and all blood belongs to God. And God tends what he owns. So time blood is shed, God listens. The blood cried on the ground, God listened to it. He questioned Cain, but Cain answered, who made the blood? This is classic defense. Do you ever say, you know, um, your, your, your spouse says to you, uh, well, you, you really sort of let me down here. And then they say, well, you, you see, it's as old as Cain. You know, this is a classic, you know, deflect the conversation. So God comes and says, Cain, you, and he goes, hey, will you, well, you made the blood. Right? It's your fault. You made the blood. But Cain answered, who made the blood? I offered you clean things, the blonde hair of the corn, the knuckled vegetables, the flowers, things that did not publish their hurt. That's very interesting. Do Do with that what you will, whether hurt is to be published or not. Things that did not publish their hurt, that bled silently, you would not accept them. This is your fault. You know, you're the one who didn't provide properly. I just wondered if Mueller was going to like. keep I wonder if that was a chancel drama, Mueller coming toward me who's going to stab me right at that point, and then see if I could love him, really that wasn't a setup, I just, I was watching your hands though, you know, you're not in the city, you always watch somebody who's got their hands in their pockets, you know, keep your hands out, they keep their hands out, everybody's going to get along, you need to keep your hands out so you can protect yourself, and they need to keep their hands out so you don't wonder what's coming, right, you come with your hands in your pockets, you make me nervous, but I still love you, and you're beautiful to me, Okay, now, this is, so this is the first thing you do, is blame your sins on God, right? And God said, it was part of myself he gave me. Okay, now, you can only read that if you actually believe uh, <laughs> in Scripture. Somebody said to me, in my my first Advent, it was very perceptive, actually, but I did it on purpose. So it's always nice when you do something and then somebody notices I said that the Christians in Noah's time thought they were good Christians, too. Then somebody said to me, did you really say there were Christians in Noah's time? And I said, you know, I did say that, and I meant to say it. Adam and Eve are the first Christians. It's a single book. It's unfortunate there's that little testament divider in there. Uh, You know, it's just a single book, and there's one story. And the first Christians were Adam and Eve, and the first priest was Adam, and the first church was in Eden. You know, where they ate things that blessed them? Well, so God said, it was part of myself he gave me. Now see, the thing is, is how can he give anything? How can he give part of himself? How does he give part of himself? How can he give blood? How can he give flesh? How can he give anything? God said, it was part of myself he gave me. The lamb was torn from my own side, begotten from eternity, right? He gives a lamb, small l, because someday there'll be a, lamb big l and the reason there were sacrifices with blood small b is that someday there would be a sacrifice with blood big b right everything's attached it's not an accident that the life is in the blood that sacrifices blood that jesus bled when he was nailed to the cross and that his blood is given to you in the eucharist it's not an accident god always saves us with blood just like he always saves us with water it wasn't an accident that noah on the the ark and Moses in the Nile and the children of Israel going through the Red Sea were all saved by water. That's not an accident. It's not an accident that you're saved by water too. This is easy. There's just one story. He saves us by blood. He saves us by water. He saves us by flesh and blood. It was part of myself he gave me. The lamb was torn from my own side. The limp head, the slow fall of red tears, they were like a mirror to me in which I beheld my reflection. God looks in the sacrifice and sees himself. I anointed myself in readiness for the journey to the doomed tree you were at work upon. That brilliant stuff. You did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. There is a beauty. What this does is defy any way for you to categorize beauty as what pleases your eye. In America, the degeneration uh, of morality over the past 50 years or so, while I've been alive, in one sense can be traced by people saying, don't tell me what's beautiful and not beautiful. Don't tell me what's provocative and not provocative. Don't tell me what's illicit and not illicit. Don't tell me, as if every person could decide for themselves, Uh, what was good and what was evil. Good and evil are revealed by God in the way that beauty and holiness are revealed by God. And we can trace, you know, our ability to live the way God wants us to live uh, as we trace the way that we see beauty in the world and in other people. And at the end of the day, expect nothing in return. Abel saw the blow that Cain had dealt him and loved him for it. He loved him expecting nothing in return. The Lord saw the blow that Cain had dealt to Abel and loved him for it. I was at a meeting this week where part of the conversation was, um, you know, there was a part, everybody tells stories about where, they, where they've been in, in, this, in this place. The, there was a local pastor in a church where the pastors wore t-shirts who, uh, I'd worn that, you know, you've seen this T-shirt around that says, Jesus loves porn stars. Have you seen this? Well, you need to get out more. So uh, in in this church, instead of vestments, they wear T-shirts. This, Then the pastor wore this T-shirt, Jesus loves porn stars. And then he sort of preached from that. And uh, a large segment of his congregation felt that he had declared war on them because they were the upright and they were the loved. And Jesus is wrathful toward those sinners. Which, of course, gets the whole message upside down. Of course, Jesus loves porn stars. And he loves you, too. And, you know, in your own pornographic ways, whatever they might be. Whatever ways that are less beautiful and less holy than the Lord has prescribed. So, uh, the beautiful thing is to be loved when we deserve not to be loved. And the wonderful thing in the church is to be able to love people in the way that Jesus loves them in spite of themselves and expecting nothing. And then to just carry on and do it again the next day because that's just who you are. God never stops being faithful, and so you too never stop being faithful. Now, if you wonder how that works out, it works out, of course, this is point eight, uh, by way of grace. And we've done this before, how the words charis and kara are all tied together, joy and uh, thanksgiving and rejoicing. And so grace is put to us, and it is in that grace that we live. This charis, this gift, this grace is fed into the world, and so we are able to recognize beauty when we see it. There is... um, And I wonder how hard we can press this. I'm at point nine. There is this bit in 2 Corinthians 3.18 which talks about how we are being transformed bodily. Or again in 1 John 3.2 where it talks about how we will all become like him. And like him means Jesus who always has a body. So how hard can you press the fact that we are genuinely transformed bodily? That we do become more beautiful day by day even if we cannot see it. Uh, You have your metamorpho, your metamorphosis just like Jesus did at Transfiguration. It's the same word here that you are transformed Uh, and we with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next. So um, it may count for physical beauty. It certainly counts for spiritual beauty. You're two bits your body and soul, and so beauty permeates you, body and soul. So the challenge for you is to find beauty in people whom you normally regard as ugly. People, for example, who have had medicine for sickness and they become horribly disfigured. Or people who have been reduced in some way. Uh, You know, stroke takes half of you away, and it's not the half that it used to be. Or uh, when people lose limbs, it's always sort of a grim thing when people begin to lose bits and pieces of themselves, uh, and how much. And this may then help you rethink. Um, I just got word of a person who uh, I've always known to be quite a fighter uh, his whole life, and he gets the word that he's got cancer, and he sort of goes straight to the uh, to, to, to 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 palliative care, and he'll take he'll take what the Lord deals him. So there's a way that we begin to see beauty in people who are ugly, people who are homeless, people who smell, people who do us ill. You know, Romero's thing. Read Romero's uh, little comment in the bulletin, of Bishop Romero, who was uh, shot at the altar during the Mass. Read what that's like. And you begin to see um, then what Christmas is really all about that God incarnates in beauty to restore beauty to all of you so that you can see each other in this way. Beauty then becomes a glimpse of what we're meant to be uh, in the way that we deal with each other and care for each other. There's a beauty that's seen not always physically. You rejoice in what is physically beautiful and what strikes you, and you you rejoice, as the Creed says, in the the resurrection of the body, the restoration of all you are, And, and what will become of that. But you also rejoice even now in the beauty that Christ puts into people. And ultimately you do that even when there's no return for you. I don't know if I leave you enough time. Seven minutes. Do you want to say something about the mystical union? Whet their appetite? Or do you want to be free through Christmas? Want to be free? Questions about any of this stuff? I wonder if you would just consider this then as another aspect of your Christian life. Your ability to look at people and to see them how Christ sees them, and to rejoice in them despite you know the troubles that they have, and even to learn to um, engage in situations where you may be put off by you know all the things that happen to you as you go. Spend a little time in a nursing home and see if you can see beauty there. Or uh, a jail or or with your relatives for Christmas. <laughs> All the same. Yes, please. You made the comment that uh, Adam and Eve were the first Christians, which I certainly understand. Right. But you said that the first church was in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, not exactly, but, but near, the, near the kingdom. Um, uh, you couldn't say there was no need for Christ because they were created through Christ and they're contingent on him. They rely on him. But I, I think you could, like all you said, if you just, if you just, if you just sharpen it just a little bit, and say there was no need for, for forgiveness in advance. Instead of saying there's no need for Christ, I think you'd probably be just where you want to be. If you just say there's no need for it. Christ was there rejoicing with them. They were having a blast. The church is just where God gathers His people and gives out His gifts, and the only reason they were gathered, created, is so that He could love them and gift them. So He creates these two people, boom, from nothing, and then He just loves them in a way, boom, that they can't expect. And then uh, He says, "I'll be God and and be here with you, and and uh, that's the greatest possible church." See, I, I speak in a way that is not. Um, Common to us, but I don't think is wrong. Uh, it's where we're churches, where we're gathered into the presence of God to rejoice in the gifts that He gives, and I think I think Eden fits generally within that. Yeah, it's my understanding of the word Christ. Sure. Well, I think you've I, you very helpfully um, sort of sort of uh, 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 you know narrowed Christ down to the the thing that we always want to say most, which is our forgiveness. But then I want to, as soon as that's said, I want to sort of blow him back out again. There's there's much. It is true the Catechism says where there is forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. We spend very much time talking about the forgiveness of sins and very little time talking about life and salvation. And I guess I want to kind of try to expand that notion a little bit. So you're not wrong. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just want to... Eden was still a pretty cool place because forgiveness... We hadn't, there was no need for the narrowing yet. Yes? But we could probably agree at that point. Yeah? Anything else? Yes, please. Uh, given... Well, this is all set up, of course, you know. I mean, you'd have to be, you know, deaf, dumb, and blind not to figure out what we're doing to you here. Um, you know, what I hope is that, what I, yeah, I'm actually trying to, um, we're going to move, and we're going to change something. And um, we have a limited budget to change that with. And so the goal is, uh, the goal is that we want, there to be, we want that to be a transformative mo- moment. But normally, um, the most transformative moments often take a lot of money. Um, so we're going to have to be clever in how we do this. So uh, there is a way. What I don't want you to do is walk in and just say, gosh, this is beautiful. That's how you walk into the Vatican. You walk into the Vatican and you say, wow, this is beautiful, or pick a place, you know. You're not going to have that experience. But I'm wondering if um, there might be another experience you might have where you walk in and see the font, for example, and you say, this means everything a font should mean. It means I'm saved by the water. It means I'm crossing, crossing a threshold into new life. It, it's, placed in a, it's placed at the door so that I know that this is how I move into the church. Um, it, it, it whirls the entire uh, sanctuary around it on its orbit. Um, I, I can't possibly miss this. I want to touch it. I want to I, I see it. I, there's light by it. There might be an icon by it. So you want all these things that tell people. And, and then, see, the payoff of that is, I would just say, and that's a beautiful thing. So it doesn't cost half a million dollars for the new font but nevertheless you have this sense of beauty. And that's, we we have a difficult, a challenging, and yet invigorating task, which is we need to have this wow, beautiful factor on a very limited budget. Anybody can do wow, beautiful with a ton of money. We don't have a ton of money. So partly what we're doing, I'm trying to get you to see beauty, of course, in new ways. I'm also trying to figure out, my biggest fear as a pastor going to the new place, I don't want to miss anything. It'd be a great sorrow for us (laughs) If, you know, two years then you know, somebody smarter than us walks in and goes, why did you do that or why didn't you do that? We will pull what's left of our hair out if that happens to us. So, you know, what we're trying to do is be invigorating on a very small budget but in a way that you will walk in and say, that's right, this is where Christ gathers us and this is how he gives out his gifts. That's going to be an interesting uh, thing. You know, I haven't gotten to the point I don't know what's going to happen. If we get to the point... <laughs> and i haven 't talked to anybody else about this, so I'm gonna i 'm going to deny said this even though it 's being taped, okay um, if it 's wrong, but you know we may get to the point where we have a rendering or two about what might be going in uh, um, in terms of a font or an altar or, or whatever. It might be nice for us to bring that in here and talk about that so that you walk in the first time, you say, uh, "I understand exactly what was supposed to happen here." And then you can talk to other people about what, in fact, is happening, because things may seem a little different, you know. They'll certainly seem a little different. It is, it is a learning altogether thing that's going on. We're trying to get it right. Let's see, question. All right. Um, you might just ponder. Have have a very um, you know safe Christmas as, as we go through. I know a lot of you're traveling, moving around. Tend the schedule. Um, be here. Uh, the Lord is, is, is uh, here with all that he's got. So we'll do our best over the next few days. We'll come back, I think, um, to this particular class. We'll come back, not the first week of January, but the second week, which I think is the 11th. Is that right? Something like that. No, that's a Friday. It must be the 13th. 13th. So we'll come back here the 13th, and we'll talk a little bit more. Um, yeah, but everything, it's, uh, it's a good question. Everything has a purpose. That's where we're trying to go. Yep. cup of coffee next Sunday I the children have to, that was my, to Do you know how it's how long it's going to be? No yeah. Um, Jill makes the point that you know you'd show great support if you'd um, come to the Sunday school program and then have your coffee afterwards which of course would be easy to do. Uh, so thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, um, thanks for your time. Let's pray, let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power